Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back, everybody, to the MVM Show. I'm Tyus, your host today, and I'm running this thing solo with a great guest today, Dave Maestas. Uh, the finisher, Adrenaline. You guys know who this is if you've been in the waterfowl industry long enough. If you don't, you're going to find out today. Dave, thanks for joining us on the show today. No problem, man. Appreciate you having me. I'm going to say I'm the great guy to be on the show, but um, I'm a guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're a great guy to have on the show. So, um, well, let's just jump right in. Um, I kind of been seeing what's going on with you on Facebook with your, your new baby and everything. That's kind of probably been quite an experience to go through huh oh man yeah i mean so this is our third child but um we didn't well we kind of anticipated it being a little rough going into this only because our first child um caused the whole issue of pregnancies afterwards oh really with him yeah so my wife is a o negative and whenever you're o negative you're supposed to get a shot it's called a rogam it's supposed to make your blood positive um, so in case the baby's blood is different, it wouldn't mess hers up, which they gave her one at six months and then they have to give you another one after birth and they did not. So my boy's blood was my blood, which is, I think O positive or something like that. And it mixed with hers. So now she's sensitized and, and has antibodies. And what these antibodies do is it fights off anything that become that's in her body that is not her blood type. So basically all of our kids, we've lost three. We had three miscarriages. Oh, wow. We had another kid, uh, Titus. He's seven. It's a good name. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so he he uh, was. We had, we had our son miscarriage and then Titus. So then he um, had to get three or four blood transfusions and then NICU queue for twenty eight days and all all because of all this stuff. So. After that, we're finding out that every pregnancy you have after that, it gets worse and worse and worse. Wow. So this is, we had two more miscarriages after him because we wanted to have one more. And it was just, we were like, well, I guess it's not on the cards. So um, I don't know what happened. My wife got a wild hair and said, let's try one more time. Before you know it, we're like, okay. So about 18 weeks, 
uh, this baby, uh, Willow, is uh, was a DMEX, so we had to go to back and forth to Arizona from New Mexico uh, for from 18 weeks to 36 weeks. Uh, we had to drive back and forth every week um, and get blood wow. transfusions to her to the baby inside there, so her body wouldn't kill the baby off in her womb. So it's pretty crazy. Wow. But uh, yeah, that's all in the past. Now we're we're in a new chapter. The baby's home. She's healthy just and the only thing we have right now is oxygen so we're grateful that it's just uh after all that all we had is oxygen afterwards uh that we're dealing with we don't have anything else because a lot of times baby could have you know brain problems and you know growth issues all kinds of stuff so we are very blessed but uh yeah man so we're settled in now i'm just counting the days down to to duck hunting i found out in two days our north zone actually uh will be opening up so i was trying to See if I should squeeze on over that way and try and <laughs> go for opener, but I'm leaving to Canada on the 21st, so oh. I might as well just I might I got I gotta gotta pick and choose carefully what I what I do. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Sarah is like very. Yeah. I did three trips this year. One one was a uh, five day, one's a four day, and one's a week. So I'm like really at my max right now she's not quite she's okay with it but i'm on the edge i don't think i can squeeze anything else in so oh man i get that totally yep especially with a baby you know a new baby and everything too totally understand yeah so so i'm picking carefully on that stuff i bet how long you gonna be in canada for what's going on there so we got invited out uh by chapel creek outfitters um we were actually gonna be going with dry creek outfitters uh when i talked to them back in washington um and then for i didn't think i was gonna be able to make it so our our plans fell through there and then um it was more my fault probably just letting it kind of fall off and then these guys hit me up again and i was like this different company and i was like oh well you know what let me see and i looked at it and i was like you know what i could probably make that time um so they opened it up for uh me to take some people with us and we decided to do a little giveaway uh for a lucky winner to go oh, with yeah, us up I've seen there. That. so don't yeah, know they're posting some videos, right, or something to be entered or something. Yeah, like that. I kind of stole the idea from um, I think it was Matt McCormick and um, I think someone another person, Brady Davis. Uh, they did something like that um, for going up to Montana, and they had Sika. It was a full ride from Sika. They were paying for I the seen whole. That. Hunt that was cool. Like that. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, man, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I just decided to try it anyways, just, you know, piggyback off that, see how it went. You know, it was, I was really happy with it, man. I just, the whole point of it was not to find, you know, somebody that had the saddest story or the happiest story or the killer or the non-killer. I just, it was whatever we felt as a group, you know, collectively that we felt would, would deserve the hunt the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and I, there was a lot of great entrances and, you know, this, this girl, uh, Keisha just stood out to all of us that, you know, she was a, stay-at-home mom she wants to go hunting and she never can because she's you know she's watching her boy and and stuff like that and so i was like you know what that that sounds like a great person to to have along somebody that would probably normally not be able to get out much to go out and hunt because i mean myself i with the two kids and now this new one i'm like to try and find time to go hunt is pretty tough and Mm -hmm. luckily i have a good uh my wife blesses me to let me go out as much as i can Mm -hmm. um without complaining but I was like, you know what? I would, I would love to give it to somebody like that. So, anyways, um, we picked her, and and we're gonna be going out there. So, uh, we're gonna head out the twenty first. Um, I think the hunt starts the twenty second, and then we will 
uh, come back. It ends the 26th, and I'll be back home probably around the 27th or so. So it's, okay. a, it's a good trip. What yeah. province are you guys going? Uh, I think it's Saskatchewan right there at Moose okay. Jaw or something around there in that area. Oh, yeah, yeah. Called. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, we went there. We went hunting in uh, Alberta a couple years ago. It was it's pretty insane the amount the amount of birds up there. You know, that's what I hear, man. I, I say it's 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 crazy because I've never been up there myself. I mean, I've I've gone, uh, you know, on our even our honeymoon. It was just like a cruise. We we docked in some part of. We were on our trip to Alaska and we stopped yeah. in Canada somewhere. I forget where it was, but it was beautiful. But man, I would love to go and hunt there. And now I get to. And I'm hoping to make it a you know a yearly thing to where. Uh, we could take somebody with us every every year and, and awesome. you know and, and bless somebody that's not able to you know financially or whatever the situation is mm-hmm. you know take them up there and give them a full play, paid uh, a hunt so that would be cool that'd be awesome so what else do you got on the agenda for uh, for hunting this season man so I got I've never I've always been invited out but I've never had people like force me to go like like you need to come and really pushed me, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, I got pushed to another place. Um, man, I already forget the, the lodge. They opened it up to, they're having like, it's kind of like a product testing type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't, I don't even say it's product testing. It's just, they're being a, a collection of, of, of companies together to this lodge. We're going to go and hunt, um, two days. Um, and, 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 you know, just kind of check out maybe some new ammo that's coming out. If I have new products, I'll bring it there and present it. Oh, wow. Then they have some people that are, I think, like kind of like free, freelance, you know, writers that could write about the product. And hmm. I don't know if it ever goes anywhere or does anything, but I figured it was a good time. It's down there in Houston, um, and that's in November. So I, I'm going to be going to that one. So, yeah, I got Canada in, in October. I just had my dad's deer hunt. And now in September, the end of September, I had my deer hunt in the beginning of September. And then now I got October, I got that Canada hunt. And then November, I'm going down to Houston um, for that hunt. And then December, I'm kind of open. And then January, the show circuit starts. So uh, yeah. my hunting ends December 31st, Ooh. man. That's that's basically right. it for me. I have right a little when it bit of time good. in January. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. That's, that's the worst. I'm like, gosh, man. But, you know, it, it's nice in the fact that I could probably be out. And if I took my stuff with me, man, like, Probably, I could, probably had huh? the opportunity to go and just you know even out there in California I don't even know what your guys' season dates are but I mean I'm out there I think the the 16 somewhere around that area and I think you guys probably have are probably still shooting the, birds and yeah like till the 31st yeah they change it this year it would it would be to the last Sunday of January so that last day would always change but this this season it's been changed uh, you know for all of California to the last day of the month so obviously you went hunt on refuge if it 31st was a Friday or something, but you could still hunt the rivers or, or private land or whatever, you know, you got, but man, yeah, you should, you should, uh, if you're going to, are you going to do any shows out here in California in January? Just, just the, the ISC show. I mean, I, I, I've heard of other ones, but I haven't, I haven't committed to going and doing anything more. I'm, but that's like in February year, though, hit, huh? Uh, no, so that one's in January. Oh, um, it, so it? my first show kicks it off in Denver. Uh, Colorado. That's the second weekend, I think, of January, and then the following weekend is the one in Sacramento. Oh man, yeah. So, how long will uh, you be out here for that? Like four days or something? Um, typically, and then usually from there I head up to Washington. But I got uh two amazing staff members, Jessica and her boyfriend Corbin. Um, they they did a show for me in Utah last year, the Western show. 
and um, they they wanted to take on you know a couple shows this year. So I'm letting them do the Utah show, and then they're going to go up and do the Washington show and the Oregon show for me. Um, so after my uh, Sacramento show, um, I don't have to go up to Washington anymore. So that's going to open me up for some time. So mm. maybe I'll stick around a little bit and then we hook up. You're more than welcome to. It's open open invitation. That'd be fun. Oh, awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. that'd be real fun. Super cool. We, do, I'm definitely going to make sure we hired another, another pilot because that was – I got lucky. Last year was the first year I went, so it was really cool to meet you in person. And meet a few other people that I have talked to over the last couple of years, but never really met in person. But um, it was the first time I got to go, and I really enjoyed that. It was a really great way to meet people and shake hands. And, you know, that first time you meet somebody, it's like, okay, you just kind of get to fill each other out. But it's like every time after that, you just kind of you can feel like, you know, that relationship getting a little bit tighter. And like, you know, it just I don't know. It just is pretty cool to do that. Because uh, yeah. you can't, it's kind of, I mean, you can talk to people over the phone. I've done it that way too. But just to see in person and get that handshake, you know, it just kind of makes a difference. But no, I agree with you, man. That's that's one of the things. It's a love hate relationship on these expos. Like they're so long. I'm gone from my family from, mm-hmm. like I said, the second weekend of January all the way till March. Uh, gone on the road all over the United States. And uh, I'm maybe home maybe one time in between that. Um, other than that, I'm gone for those three months. And, uh, it, it sucks, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I meet a lot of people that I normally would never meet. Right. And now I have these great friendships that I've been building. And like you said, you know, like, you know, what I have planned for this year, it's like these friendships are actually turning to like, hey, you need to come and hunt with us. And mm-hmm. I built a friendship to where I'm like, you know what, I probably should go out and let's go hunt with these guys. So, you know, I had some uh, guy and his name is Mike. He mentioned, you know, let's swap some hunts to go up to New York, you know, and you know, I have um, a, another friend out there in Jersey. Uh, he mentioned to go and do some sea duck hunting, okay. and I'm like, man, this this sounds like some fun. I need to I need to definitely take advantage <laughs> of it. But totally. yeah, man, that's that's it. Yeah, I love it. And you know, just the power of social media too, and everything, every aspect. It's it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy how I can get out there. But man, we we jumped right into the fire in the conversation. But I guess we the I you know. Let's step back a little bit and let's go into your product, what you have. Um, How do you come up with the idea? Or just explain first to anybody that may not know. I kind of feel like I don't know how people couldn't, but I think you have such a long ways to grow, like still, that there's still people that even don't know, you know, and um, tell us what it is, what it looks like, kind of what it's for. All right. Well, uh, come up with the product probably about seven years ago, prototyped it for about a whole year, um, getting all the patents and stuff like that for it. Um, designed it into like a duck head. Um, I just felt it was fitting. I mean, most people that are waterfowling, you know, love the, love a certain duck and species and stuff like that. So I knew I wanted to do something more with it when I started. So I just developed it out of my kid's Play-Doh. Um, I kind of just molded it with some finger guards and then, you know, from there I made a little point. And then I talked to a friend that, uh, was a veterinarian and well, actually, you know, it was a friend from school who had a friend that was a vet and, uh, it was hard for me to try and, you know, explain the concept of this to people that are said, why don't you just bite the head or why don't you just wring a neck and stuff like that? So 
he basically went and told me, you know, this this type of uh, method is is probably the most clean and humane method you can use next to obviously a clean kill shot, and we all strive for that. But I mean, to me, I've, I've kind of gauged it out. I want, I get maybe one or two cripple birds out of every ten I shoot. Mm. So you know, and that's still one too many. Even though I practice and practice, it's still. I mean, it's a moving object. Uh, I've never been able to crush every single bird I've ever shot. There's some right, days that I'm right. crushing everything. But anyways. I was terrible at wringing necks. Um, I tried, you know, different methods. Some people say whip it like a towel and, and do this. And then, you know, I, I last time I ever wrung a neck, I um, I socked it. And the bird was still alive, man. And that just went, uh, my heart just dropped into my stomach. So I, you know, I was spinning it. For people, I don't know what socking is. I was spinning it. And I guess I obviously, I don't know what I'm doing that well. I mean, I've been hunting a couple of years and then, and I was all spinning it, the the neck, all the just skin just ripped off, and you could see all the meat, mm-hmm. and you know that, and it just, and the eyes are blinking and looking at me, and I'm like, this bird has to be in so much pain that it yeah. is the worst. Yeah. So, uh, me and my buddy, the bunny that uh, introduced me into duck hunting, um, we, he was like, man, there's better, there's got to be better ways. So, you know, we kind of collaborated, worked together, and you know, we came up. Uh, he had like this little spike that he saw and I was like, that's kind of crazy. And, um, from there we developed, I developed into the duck head and, and then we started adding some features. We have some amazing features coming out this year. So, um, so if, if some people don't know what it is, you, you basically, it's, it's shaped like a duck head about the size of a quarter. Um, and it has like a, a little spike coming out of the end of the front, the bill, um, that's probably about an inch long. And what you do is you just fill the back part of any bird, small game animal, uh, goose, and there's a little a little joining um, part right there. We call I call it the dip. I mean, there's a the veterinarian would tell you exactly what it's called, and I'm sure people are like, oh, it's called this. Um, it's just right where the neck, the bottom of the skull and the neck meet. There's a little soft spot right there, and you insert the finisher in there at an upward angle. So the common mistake some people can make is that right when they break skin, they just go straight in, mm-hmm. and then they turn around and the eyeballs bulge out. And you're not really doing any much damage to the bird. I mean, you still may kill it, but you may bleed a lot if you'll notice that. Mm-hmm. And if I tell people here, it's bleeding a lot, that means you're not going right below that dip. If you go right below that dip, you're going to miss that main artery that goes through there. And the reason why this works so well and why the veterinarian endorsed it as one of the best methods to kill a bird is because you're hitting the brain stem, and then you're hitting the spinal cord. You can nick that, and then you're going right into the brain. So you're doing that all in one motion, and that's why the birds die almost within seconds. You know, some people are like, well, you could, you know, you don't have to just go back there. You could jam it through any part of the skull. I heard some guys recently saying, oh, you know, you, you could just go anywhere with, with this, um, just stabbing it anywhere in the head. And that's not true because um, there's a reason why we do the back part of the of the, of the skull. One, it, it hides a hole if you ever want to mount your bird because it's a pin-sized hole in the back mm-hmm. of the head. And, um, well, cause a lot of times the people, the way they mount them, you know, it'll be hidden right. and you're not, you're not ruining it. And plus you're hitting all those, those elements in one motion. So it's killing them instantly. If you just go and you stick them through the nose or you hit them, you know, on the top part of the skull, you're, you're trying to push through all that bone and you're still hitting them in the brain. It's just, it's not going to be as effective as it is whenever you're hitting them in the spinal cord, you know, where you're paralyzing that bird. And then you're going up hitting the brain stem and then the brain. And you're just ensuring that you are immobilizing that bird. And that's the whole point of, to me as a hunter, is being ethical to the animals mm-hmm. we're hunting. Right. And uh, so that's why this works so well and it's so effective um, because of the method at which we use. And, you know, like I said, I mentioned about patents. You know, we have four patents on this thing already. 
um, and we have another one pending. So uh, along the way, it's been six years, we've actually developed, um, starting to come up with our other features. We're actually rolling out, I'm hoping to get confirmation back from the Wounded Warriors uh, project, um, hopefully by tomorrow. Uh, we're coming up with a Damascus steel one. That's going to be a limited edition run. Wow. And I incorporated a bottle opener into it uh, yeah. for after the hunt for people who, you know, wanted whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never encourage drinking and shooting at the same time. Um, and then we also have on the bottom part of it where it attaches to your lanyard, it's, we have a band opener so you can split open your the bands oh, of your wow. birds if you shoot any of that. Cool. It's a little wedge. And then we, we have the top part of the uh, of the duck head, I guess you would say. Um, that part is thin enough to fit into your choke tubes for mm-hmm. your shotguns. So you could tie and loosen your choke. And then obviously you have the finisher finishing off your birds. Or you can unjam a shell with it. Or you can, uh, you know, pop out your pin if you need to get to your trigger assembly and, yep. you know, fix something like that. So it's all that. And we all offer a lifetime warranty on them. So that's going to be our newest model limited edition run. And like I said, a proceeds, probably we're going to try and do about 10 bucks of everyone sold is going to go right towards um, uh, the Wounded Warrior Project. That's awesome. Yeah, <clears throat> kind of stepping back with a couple of things, uh, and that's awesome that you're uh, doing that with the Wounded Warrior. That's, that's super cool. And uh, stepping back a little bit, I seen something. And I was kind of saving it for this podcast, and I and, and I understand if you don't want to say too much because you know as a business owner, you I know how that is with certain things with selling products. You got to take care of them. At least the good companies will, and I know you will. And I've seen that you took care of the issue, but you and I both know, and anybody that's ever used one of these products, guys, it's if you haven't seen one or held one in your hand, or maybe you've seen them but never held them, you're not bending those things. I'm telling you right now, especially no duck heads gonna or skull or goose or anything. And this guy puts on there, I seen this on, I don't know what site it was, it was on Facebook somewhere, he's all first use and and bent like 10, and it showed that thing curled up, I just started laughing so hard, and you you handled it perfectly, and now we'll get you another one, and this, and I thought, give me a break, that guy was probably trying to wedge it inside something and putting his whole body weight on it to make it do that, I mean, you cannot bend that, there's no way, there's no way you could so, do that. So what we did, uh, we we... I, the, I'm going against everything I've, I've done in development on the finisher using this Damascus steel because it rusts. Mm. And the whole reason why we use brass on all of the finishers going forward after this is, um, and before the current ones, is because of the, the elements that, it, that brass composes. So um, it's, it's a little more brittle, obviously, but it doesn't get as cold as steel or anything like that. So you don't worry about your fingers getting frozen whenever it's those cold mornings. Mm-hmm. And you get and this, this actually happened when we were prototyping. Uh, we had some steel ones made, and then we go and we it was cold. It got wet. We go to use it. Our fingers, you know, defrosted the the finisher. Uh, we put our fingers on it. We go to use it with the hot blood of the bird, and then next thing we know, our fingers are stuck to it because it refroze again. Mm. So then we had to dip our hand into the water to release our fingers, huh. um, just like sticking a licking a pole. That's yeah, basically yeah. what we were doing. So the brass doesn't do it. It doesn't get as cold, and. Um, so, and we also like the fact that it doesn't rust. It takes 15 years for it to corrode in salt water. Wow. So we wanted to make sure we took care of it for everybody. But yeah, it, it, at times they do, they do break. Um, I think over the six years that I've done this, I've had maybe, maybe, and I would say this is going o- above, is maybe 20 that I've had to replace. And a lot of the times the guys are saying, hey, well, I'm like, I just broke. And I'm like, 
hey man, there's no there's no fault policy. You just let me know. I just want to make it better. Yeah, you know yeah. what were you doing with it? And they'll come out and they'll finally say, well, I was actually I was unjamming my gun and my receiver came back <laughs> and snapped it. Yeah, and I was like, oh okay, well now I appreciate. It. Well, that's something that you know we can't improve on the right, quality. Right. But uh, you know, yeah, so you want to know. I, I mean, you're a yeah, business. Yeah, I want to know. Yeah. I want to fix it. And and, and, and and I don't ever want to make people feel like oh I'm just trying to you know get it to where it's, they're not going to be warranted because they were misusing the product. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Like I've had kids that um, like to shotgun beer with them. And I'm like, man, I don't care what you guys are doing with it. It's your thing. It's a lifetime warranty on it. No matter what you're doing with it, mm-hmm. I will cover it. Oh, wow. So it's no big deal. And I just want to make sure I make the best product available for right. people out there. Right. And like I said, that's why we're adding these new features and stuff like that on there. But Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I just, you know, for someone that didn't know and seen that, they're like, man, that thing must be super soft. But it's like, it's not. Like, obviously, the guy was doing something to wedge something or whatever. But like you said, okay, it's not, it's not costing an arm or leg to replace it. You just, just, you just want to know as an owner, okay, was this really, did this fault happen with, you know, something like putting it in the bird's head or, you know, which obviously it doesn't. But yeah, I just thought Where it was kind of a problem. Fun. Um, some people, uh, said that, well, I'm, I'm using this thing and it broke and I'm like, okay, well, they're like, well, I was hitting in the back of the head and I'm like, well, was it hard to push in? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, hmm. well, you probably didn't read the back of the instructions, did you? And you know, they laugh because we're, we're guys. Most of the, most of the people, I mean, I don't read 90% it. of my customers were guys. <laughs> we don't read instructions. Right. Right. I put a bed together three times because I felt like I could do it myself until <laughs> yeah. my wife came in and said, read the instructions. So uh-huh. I did. But, uh, anyways, people will jam it in the back of the bird's skull and then they're just cranking on it. And on a cold morning, you're cranking on a big goose skull, you know, it may snap. Mm. And, uh, but if you're going through that soft spot, that's an open natural hole Mm -hmm. in the back of the head. It's soft. It's going to go right in. You don't need to crank it all the way inside to where you're hitting the top of the skull, jamming it into any type of bone. And you're just doing a quick swipe. Um, it's never going to break. And yeah. if, like I said, if it ever did, I do cover it for the lifetime of that. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just a, a learning uh, curve that once people get it and they fix, and then they're like, "Oh, I didn't know that I was supposed to go. I was going too high. I was. I needed to go a little lower." Mm-hmm. Or not. Yeah, and I, I've been using one since uh, 2014, and I, when I, I can't lie. I mean, I'll admit, like the first three years, I was um, putting it all the way in, like you said. And what was going on, just if anybody wants to know, if you, I would say it would be a little sign. You can confirm or deny what I'm saying. But when you stick it all the way into the, the hub, as far as it will go, basically, and you start twisting it, the bird seems to flap a lot, you know? Like you said, plus you'll get that deep, dark red blood. But I don't know if what it was. Someone put a video. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was someone else that talked about just cracking it in and then going straight up and twisting it was instant. I mean, limp, it was over. It was that quick. No blood, no mess. Just the bird was done. And uh, ever since then, it's I've never once, it's never been a long deal. It's just instant, you know? Yeah, that and that's exactly it. And another time you'll know if you're doing it wrong is when you, you insert it straight in, you'll see the eyeballs bulge, mm-hmm. bulge out. And uh, there's a video we have online, and, and it shows just the duck skull, and you can see what happens whenever you go straight. Right when you break skin, if you go straight in, it's going to cause that bulge because of the anatomy of the bird. So um, it's a real helpful video uh, that we have on our page for people to check out if they have questions. Or, you know, we always help more than ha- happy to help people if they have questions or need more video instructions or anything like that. Mm. 
uh, we'll do that at any time. What's your website and your social and all that stuff, Dave? So website, uh, it's going to be adrenaline.com. So A-D-R-E-N-A-L, and then I have a little hyphen in it, L-I-N-E.com. Um, and then our social is going to be uh, the underscore finisher underscore official. Okay. No, you know what? I am wrong. No, it is just the finisher official. There's yeah. no underscores. You recently, yeah. it was changed recently or something? Maybe. Yeah, you know, I, I've been going through some changes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I struggled at first. Like, I'm just a guy, man, that, you know, I, I pushed cards for Walmart. I was a cashier for Walmart um, when I was 15 or 16 years old. And um, I know nothing about business. I, I saw Walmart's concepts on what they did to uh, help make who they are. And I tried to implement those with the company. So when I was making a company, I was actually talking to my cousin, uh, husband about it. And I was like, you know, I, I love the adrenaline that, that comes to you whenever you are uh, out hunting, you know, that's just, I just love it. And he's like, man, why don't you call it like adrenal line and then come up with a line of products. And so I, I started branding it as adrenal line. And then I talked to another guy and he's like, man, why are you branding adrenaline? It should be finisher. Your product should be the finisher. And so I've, I've struggled back and forth. Cause like I said, I, I don't know anything about this stuff. I had no guidance. I had no one mm-hmm. to teach me what's right, what's wrong on, on, on marketing and stuff like that. It, you have to become almost a pro, your own professional marketer <laughs> without any experience, just learning off of other people. And then mm-hmm. other people kind of don't want to help you because they're afraid you're going to, you're going to take their thunder away from, you know, yeah. whatever, but I've never been that way. I'll help as many people as I can, but yeah. So there's a little disconnect um, between the two. So we were adrenaline. And then I swapped over to the finisher because that is my product that I want to push. And I have another product coming out um, that it'll be under Adrenaline, but the product will be called uh, the Rod Pod. Um, and it's a, a, a thing I developed to uh, assist you in your fishing. Hmm. Well, we're going to have to talk a little bit more about that in a second. I'm, I'm yeah. curious. Um, also... Uh, do you do this year round or like when the duck season slows down, do you do something else too? Or is this your full-time, full-time business? Yeah. So, um, it first started, so I worked with, like I said, I started off with Walmart when I was 16. Um, you know, everyone always gets a part-time job or whatever and thinking that, you know, I'm just going to be part-time when I go to college and I'm going to get out graduate college. I'm going to make millions of dollars. <laughs> so yeah. I, I went, uh, you did that. So I got through high school, paid for all my truck. I paid my truck off you know, and all that through high school using Walmart. And then Walmart was good about, you know, allowing you to go to school. So I went to school staying with Walmart, uh, working for them part-time while I went to school for criminal justice and government. So I did a double bachelor in those uh, two because I thought I was going to be this FBI agent and, uh, you know, work for ICE or something mm. and all this stuff. And uh, it turns out when I got out, I went and applied everywhere and I couldn't even get into the CYFD at $13 an hour um, or a, a basic, you know, parole, parole officer, you know, at the 14, $15 an hour. And I'm like, this doesn't even make sense. I could just go back into Walmart and, um, make a lot more money than as a manager. And sure enough, I went in there and just worked my way up to where, you know, I was working at the warehouse and, you know, working three days a week. And then I would work. So I'd work Saturday, Sunday, Monday, um, at the warehouse, the Walmart distribution center as a manager there. And then Tuesday through Friday, I would work on the company. Mm. And, uh, during that time, I knew that in order for me to ever do this as a full-time thing, I, uh, needed to do two things at, at once. I had to make sure I had the supplement 
income from this business that was stable. And then I also had to make sure I had no debt. Um, so my, my wife dumped our debt. We had like $15,000 in debt. Uh, we dumped when we were debt free, had everything paid off. And, uh, then from there I was burning so much vacation. My company, Walmart was like, you need to choose, man. You either need to go head on with us or you need to go and do your thing. And uh, I just took a leap of faith, man, and stepped wow. out and said, all right, we'll see you later. After 14 years wow. uh, working with the company, I, I left. And so I don't ever want to go back into debt. And so whatever I make from the company, I always put back into the company mm-hmm. to help it grow. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, to get to your point, um, I had to pick up other jobs just so I ensured I kept it that way. So I, I do photography business, which I got into because of the company to take my product pictures and stuff like that. So, um, my brother became a realtor and wanted to start, uh, taking pictures of his houses and he had no clue. And he's like, well, you have a camera, take pictures for me. And I'm like, well, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'll do it. So I started doing that. And then a lot of, um, realtors liked the pictures. So they started hiring me to do their houses. So I work for about eight realtors now um, on the off season, which works perfect. Wow. So my season starts uh, duck season. Basically we start selling in uh, probably around August, September ish mm. um, all the way to about February and then it slows down, but then real estate picks up. So then I start getting called to go do a bunch of houses for real estate. And then me and my wife uh, do weddings and we do family portraits and stuff like that. So that keeps us busy and allows us to have that little bit of income to get us through the slow months. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That That's a, that's an incredible story. That talk about commitment and dedication, man, was, you know, it was rough. Oh, I bet. I, can I imagine. lost so much weight. Um, I would forget to eat, man. Like I didn't even have a guy that would uh, powder coat these things for me. So I come up with these bird editions and um, <clears throat> trying to pay this company to do them. And they, their prices were so much that I couldn't even wholesale them. And I'm like, this isn't working anymore. So I started powder coating them all myself. So like I'll get out of work on Monday and uh, we work 17 hours a day, 14 to 17 hours a day on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then I'll get out. And then every other Tuesday we'd have a manager meeting, but on Tuesdays would be my days of like powder coating and catching up with everything. So Mm -hmm. I'll be in, be in the, in the garage just powder coating all these finishers to try and make these additions to keep in stock to sell to people all and then fulfilling orders in between and then trying to, you know, contact, you know, um, uh, retailers and stuff and then doing family portraits in between. It was, it was ridiculous. And, and you know, I lost like 30 pounds cause I, I would, I didn't even realize like at the end of the day and I'm telling my wife, I'm like, I don't even think I ate today, you know? And I'm wow. like, when was the last time I even ate? But it, it was a very, very unhealthy um, yeah. to say the least. But yeah, I had a hustle, man, just to, I still do. I mean, I don't. I don't think I'll ever not hustle right. to just keep doing stuff like this. Hey, I mean, that just proves your work ethic, though. You can't. You can't just sit on the couch and expect uh, great results. I know about that. But <clears throat> no, yeah, sir. yeah, that. Um, I uh, I was going to flight school. You know, trying to leave uh, construction to go to fly helicopters, and as I was in flight school and framing houses, I was. Uh, delivering pizzas at night because I mean I just had to have the extra money to pay for all that. So I hear you on that, but hey, whatever. In my opinion, whatever it takes, you know. Yeah. Got too many people sitting around uh, trying to live off of the government. So 
That doesn't, that doesn't work <laughs> oh, out yeah, that way. Man. I tell my wife all the time, I said, man, I'm going to go around there and pick up all these people on the corners and bring them back to, <laughs> Start to work working. for us. They, and, the, yeah, the problem but, was they probably don't want to. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, man. They yeah. don't. There's there's signs all over the place. But, you know, there's somebody, some people that, there is some that, want that to. you know, just expect uh, you to, them, everything to come to them on a silver spoon, yeah. you know, and that's just not the way I was raised. Same and uh, doing that with my kids now, you know, they're seven and nine about to turn 10 and uh if they want something they know they have to work for it yeah. now i don't i don't give them handouts and you know it's it's unfortunate though i mean they see these kids these youtubers and mm-hmm. you know uh making millions of dollars making videos and i'm mm-hmm. like well that's not what we're gonna be about you know yeah 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 um i'm just curious have you do you have you kept a log of how many finishers you've sold or made or whatever like i'm just curious um i have a rough estimate man um but like I said, I am still learning. I've, I've done such a poor job on inventory management that it's, it's ridiculous. I'm like a train wreck, man. Like I, <laughs> I go to these shows and when I started, when I went to these shows, I would take like, I don't know, thousands of finishers with me, not realizing that I was probably selling, you know, a few hundred of them at a show. And, uh, then I'd bring it all back and I'm wondering like, how much do I sell? And I wouldn't even know. <laughs> and then I went from that and I started, well, I'm going to start putting these in plastic bags. I'll take a bunch of uh, grocery bags and separating the colors. And then I went from there, I went to upgrade it to yogurt containers. And I was like, all right, so now I write, I'll write the amount of how many finishers I put on the yogurt containers in each one to keep them separated. <laughs> and then my buddy laughing at me and he's like, man, I can't even believe you are this unorganized at this far in, in, in your company. So then I finally upgraded to like clear containers and now I have like a little spreadsheet and I mean, that didn't take me till this last two years, <laughs> believe it or not, man. Yeah. I still have I get a long it. way to go. Yeah. yeah. No, I get that. I, I don't even have a business like you do, but just selling hats and hoodies and shirts. It's like, uh, I've, I've oversold a few times. I'm like, oh shoot, you know, like not paying attention because the inventory wasn't, didn't do good. I'm panicking, looking through all my boxes. I thought I had another extra <laughs> large, man. You exactly. know, you're like, uh oh, you know, email the customer. Can't just get hoodie new hoodies made like in overnight. It takes three or four weeks, but yeah, I totally get that. I gotta get better at that myself too. <laughs> um, so let's talk. Uh, I didn't realize the time's going by super quick, but let's talk. Let's talk some duck hunting. Like, um, I know it was kind of mentioned on the other podcast, uh, the Duck Gun Podcast with Jordan them, but I it's been a it's been quite. It seems like it's been quite a while since you were on there, so. I can't really remember fully what was discussed, but I know you being from New Mexico, it's not like you hear people talk a lot about it. And I don't know if it's because they're keeping it hush hush or, you know, what, what it is, which is good for you guys if you are keeping it down the down low. But like, how's your guys' duck hunting and like what varieties of birds are you guys getting? Is it mainly mallards or what do you got going on there? Okay. So I didn't realize what type of, um, I guess you know, migration we would get here compared to other places. You would hear about, you know, Louisiana and all these Southern States killing it. And it didn't get, I, my eyes were not opened until I met uh, Phil Robertson and I was invited down to their house and checked out all the, you know, duck commander stuff and all that. And we were just hanging out there in his blind, you know, and we were talking about it and he's, he, you know, I tell him where I'm from and all that. And he, he looked at me and said, you know, did you know that that is some of the most premier duck hunting I have ever been to in my life? And he goes, you think, everyone always talks about down here. He goes, nobody even realizes what you guys have over there. Hmm. And, uh, I was like, wow, really? So then I started thinking about it and 
you know what, man, we have, it's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's one of those things, you know, grass is always greener on the other side. So you're always yeah. looking everywhere else thinking, mm-hmm. you know, you see all these, but on a consistent basis, it's good, but it doesn't start getting real, real good until, you know, December, January. Um, and then it closes. If we had a season open in February, we would murder them, but it's closed at the end of January. So, um, it's, it's so long story, I guess, shorter story. Um, we have a lot of mallards, uh, mostly mallards. Um, we shoot a lot of widgeon as well. Um, we do get some pintails. Um, we get some good amounts of green wing teal, uh, parts of the state. You can go down and shoot blue wings and cinnamons. Mm-hmm. Um, and see, so we could get some, I have never shot a canvas back, but in some parts of the, it's kind of spare, sparing, uh, you can get some cans. I've never heard of anybody really shooting a, you know, a redhead or anything like that here, but uh, I'm, I know there's probably a few that people have been shoots those, but on, on average, if anyone ever came hunting here, you would expect to shoot mallards, widgeon, um, and on a rare occasion, you're going to shoot some pintails, but, uh, those are going to be your, your top birds that you're shooting over here. Hmm. Well, it sounds good to me. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love greenheads, man. I love greenheads so much. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing like it, man. Yeah. Have you ever done a, any hunting out here in California? No, so I've never hunted anywhere else other than New Mexico for waterfowl, other than Arkansas. With when I, um, no, well, I didn't get a hunt with them. They were just building blinds. They're oh. getting ready for the season. I don't okay. know where they are not. Yeah. So they're getting their blinds ready to flood their fields and all that stuff. So um, I never got to experience it down there, but I did experience um, speck hunting um, down there in Arkansas when I went to the Wings Over the Prairie Festival. Uh, I think a year after I started, so like probably in 2015, uh, 2016, somewhere around there, um, I went down there and hunted. Uh, we shot, man, a little bit of gadwalls and uh, on one of the days, and then the rest we shot specks, but it was it was like real foggy, and I never even knew what a speck was, man. Mm. And uh, it was a cool and interesting thing for me to experience, and um I, I definitely wanted to do it again but other than that that is that's been all my hunting experience as far as waterfowl and honestly big game i don't think i've hunted big game out of sight of new mexico either huh. well you guys got some pretty big good big game there though don't you yeah there's no reason to leave. and honestly like people are like why in the world are you living in new mexico you know and i have the ability to live anywhere in the world that i want um but i i just I can't get myself to leave, man. I mean, it, it is a desert. So, it, Were you, were you I, I born and raised there? Yeah, I've been born and raised here, okay. man. Um, I don't speak any Spanish. Everyone thinks I'm – I got a couple people that are like, hey, uh, you know. Si habla español. <laughs> yeah, they think I'm – I'm like, no, I'm not from Mexico. I'm from New Mexico in the United States, you know. And they're like, oh, so you speak Spanish? I'm like, no, I, I don't know Spanish. I know I sound like it just because mm. it's heavily influenced here. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so if anybody comes expects to hunt here – you can shoot those, and then you also see a lot of desert, which is what we live in. But uh, we have like bodies of water throughout, and then we mainly hunt uh, the Rio Grande River that runs right through the middle of the state. Uh, okay, and uh, that's where we hunt. So uh, really, mainly river hunting. Yes, we do hunt around the river, and most of our hunting is going to be within uh, probably ten to twenty yards of you. So all the birds will come in about that close. Oh shoot! Oh man! Even yeah. being a, even being a big wide river, right? <clears throat> So, I mean, I'm, at one point, I'm sure that river was huge. Um, it's been getting really overgrown. We have a lot of uh, 
um, cottonwood trees that keep growing in there and it keeps making us like smaller and smaller. Mm. And we have a lot of, uh, uh, I forget what other kind of, not salt cedar. It's, it's another type of a tree. It's just like a real bushy tree and that, that it's a real fast growing tree and it, it's like a bush and uh, man, it's killing me. I don't know what it's called right now, but anyways, that, that grows in the river. So we we're a big farming community along the river so they drain the river basically in the summers and they all the water goes into these ditches to fill to do all the hay and right. stuff like that mm-hmm. now alfalfa so the river's really low and when that happens all the seed that was there and then these little trees saplings start growing like crazy um in there and then the water comes back in but by that time these trees have time to establish well it's been low and so it just kind of keeps narrowing down the river more and more um, so it's kind of, kind of crazy though, wow. but it allows for good hunting cause you're, you're hunting shots, everything, you know, real close. Um, like I said, 10 almost, to 20 yards is where you're shooting. Almost like not, maybe not like hunting timber, but kind of, you got that help of the trees. Maybe does it sound like, um, in, in a sense, for hiding so, kind of, yeah, in the hiding in yeah. So, in, um, for the trees, we hunt under right under the trees. So we basically just cut out little holes in, in mm. the natural brush so you're like either sitting in the water or standing in the water or you're up against the bank and then you have your decoys right in front of you uh, with a little pocket and those birds are just dropped. So they wow. come up over the – they're coming like in the in the river. They're coming um, right already in the river. They're above you and then they'll mm-hmm. circle down. They jump right over the, the trees. They don't even see you till it's too late. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good experience, man. I tell people when they, when they come here, it's, it's, a, it's something that I, I have enjoyed, uh, but I've – I still been wanting to try that timber hunting, man. I hear there's oh, yeah. nothing like it. Right. I hear everybody say that. And anybody that's done it, they love it. Anybody that hasn't is their like on their bucket list to do, you know. But um how many days, Dave, do you you think you get to hunt uh per season there in your area? So our season opens uh we have two zones. Um north zone opens the twelfth and then uh the south zone, which is where we're at, that opens the twenty eighth. Um, so I get to go out at least two to three times a week. Oh, nice. Um, I could go out every day if I wanted to, but man, I get tired. I get a little tired, man. Yeah. It, yeah. It gets, no, it's I get exhausting, it. you know, and you know, it's kind of a, so most of us hunt and, and it's all public land. Um, the river, I mean, you can't really own a part of it. There's some guy that owns a part of it. I don't know if it was way back in the day, how he got it or what, but anyways, for the most part, it's all public land. So you go and you find these spots. You get out there, you know, sometimes 3, 3.30 in the morning to mm-hmm. lock in the spot. Mm-hmm. And then uh, next thing you know, somebody parked, you know, a couple channels down. Um, and then they hiked all the way up to where your spot is. Mm-hmm. And if you're not out there sitting there waiting with your decoys and you're sitting in your truck thinking you got your spot locked in. Right. You're in for a surprise when you go back out there to go, you know, set up your stuff. You notice some guys cut you off. <laughs> so that, that's, I'm sure that's a problem everywhere. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, it happens you know, not only say frequent here, but if you find a good set of birds, you should expect at least one or two people that have saw them with you and they're going to be there too. So do you, I was, so was going to ask you, so the public land pressure may not, I don't know. I'm not saying if it is or isn't, but it may, may not be as bad as some other places. California is horrendous, but, um, you're basically saying you can be pretty successful quite a bit out there once the birds are there, even though you're hunting public land. Yeah. So on, on average, so say I go out about 20 times a season, mm-hmm. um, I would say out of those 20 times I'll run into 
um, somebody else that's kind of set up within maybe 500 yards of me, oh, shit. Uh, you know, three <laughs> to 500 yards. Um, I would say that would run, they would probably maybe two times, maybe three, um, that that would happen for me. And that's cl- 500 yards is close to you. That's yeah. Cause especially yeah. the way, you know, the, the river happens. So yeah, if they come down the river, I guess if they're in yeah. front of you, you, they're, they're cutting everything you up. off. Yeah, yeah man. I had, I had a time where, so I, 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 I found, this this hole and me and my I called my buddy up. We came back. We crawled in there, and uh, man, there was just birds everywhere, just dropping in everywhere. We were like, mm. dude, we're gonna kill it here. So we walked left out, made sure it was untouched. And the way to get in there, you had to like literally crawl. So we go the next day, um, but we park a truck where the where the birds were at, so nobody will be there. And then we we parked our next vehicle down a little bit, um, so we wouldn't have to worry about somebody cutting us off. Well, somehow someone decided to park above us one more spot mm. and that's exactly where the birds were coming from they're coming from the north and uh so we just heard blasting all day and you know we were getting the leftovers coming towards us but turns out when we came in daylight hit somebody had gone through and cut a trail all the way to where those ducks were after we left sometime <sighs> and that probably will messed us up and had i known that you know we would have probably had a different plan so that guy probably went to go park there where he cut a trail out and saw my vehicle there and decided to go while he knew where the birds were coming. So mm. he went north of us to cut us off, and he did. He did a good job. Ouch. Now, yeah. are they always coming one way up the river, or does it mainly have to do with what the wind's doing? Or are they always doing it the certain way? You know what I'm saying? Up river Although or down it, river? Yeah, it, you know, honestly, it depends on, on uh, what where the food's at. Mm-hmm. You know, We have some corn uh, that gets planted and cut at different times. And uh, depending on on uh, where you set up, they'll be coming either the north or the south. Or sometimes we just do uh, you know a flight pattern. We'll just set up right underneath them, and they'll be going from east to west. And we just try and call them down as they're flying past us, you know, and get their attention to come down and you know get some water. That's cool. So how like from I know it's different all over, but as far as one side of the river to the other, is it what's like the farthest? Di- I mean, what's the average distance from one side of the river to the other that you're hunting? Um, I would say, I would, I wouldn't even say it's a hundred yards. Oh, wow. I would say it's maybe, uh, I'm just thinking of a football field, maybe 50 yards wide. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's sweet. I mean, it should, it should be, you know, a, at least a hundred yards or more width. And, and some areas, I was going to say some areas it is wider than that, but no, it's not. I'm, I'll lie to you if I did. So hmm. I would say it's roughly about 50, 50 yards wide. And then sometimes it could channel in to maybe uh, 15 to 20. And obviously you can't hunt that spot because that's where all the water's dumping in and uh, you will get, you will drowned. Um, yeah. It's moving fast right there, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is just, a, I don't know. It just sounds like a really neat style of hunt. It almost sounds like its own unique style compared to a lot of places. Almost it kind of, different. almost kind of like a Montana small channel hunt hunting. You know what I mean? Almost, yeah. And, my wife's from Montana, so whenever we you know we tell her a river, and she's like, "That is not a river." <laughs> well, so, you know what I mean, some, like they a, call what they call a creek, a creek yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, it, it may be a creek. To them. I mean, it's fifty. It's probably about fifty yards wide, man. I'm just, I'm just guessing. That's crazy. Um, it's probably fifty to eighty yards at the at the widest at some parts, but well, it just sounds um, sweet because being more narrow like that, and the birds want that spot. I mean, that just makes it way better for you, you know. Obviously, yeah, yeah, definitely. Really um, and cool. and you know, and you find them whenever you find them, you'll you'll have a good hunt. You know, there's, there's been a couple times, like I said, I've, I've gone in, scouted, found them, 
we went in and somebody came in after us, you know, they, they shot them off the water. And for whatever the reason, if you find them in there and you shoot at them in the water, they never, where we're at, a lot of times they won't come back um, to that spot. They'll find somewhere else safer. Um, and then sometimes, you know, you do the scouting and everything just, everything just aligns and we're done. And, you know, the best days I've ever had is we had a, a four men limit. We shot all green heads and, uh, the following day we had a three man limit and shot all green heads. And, uh, the following day after that, we had, we weren't able to hunt, but my buddy went back to that spot and they were gone. So oh, wow. they, we shot them out of there, mm-hmm. but man, sometimes you don't hunt, you'll hunt, you shoot maybe two, three birds, um, in the morning, first light. And then you wait almost until, you know, 12, one o'clock. And then all of a sudden those birds just pile in like bees wow. into that hole. So if you found them in there, you just got to kind of wait and, uh, they come in. It's a whole different experience, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. It is a very competitive, uh, area over here. I mean, I don't think there is that many duck hunters in this state, but, uh, there are been times where, you know, we've, we've almost thrown down and then we find out, you know, we knew those guys and we're like, Oh, Hey, what's up? <laughs> and then, so we kind of just, you know, work with each other and like, Hey, well, if they're coming here, let them work here and we'll, we'll shoot them here. And if they work, you, yeah. you know, you get them there and you know, that's how it's worked um, in the past. But sometimes you, you get guys and you just have a bad hunt because you guys are both shooting sky blasting birds mm-hmm. just to each other off, you know, making them a bad hunt and they want to make you sure you have a bad hunt. Yeah. Wow, that's that's really interesting to hear about that. It just seems kind of like its own own uh, style. But, anyways, well, man, I don't want to. I know it's getting later. There. What's your limit? What's your limit over there? Is it seven birds? Uh, no, it's six. It is so six. You okay. shoot five, yeah, you shoot five mallards and then a kicker bird, uh, you know, oh, a wood duck okay. or a pintail, okay. or you shoot like you know. Uh, I don't know if they changed the limit or not. I don't. Know, it was two pintail. I didn't I haven't looked to see what the proclamation what it was. Um, or you shoot two wood ducks, but you, you, so you can shoot five mallards or you shoot a uh, five teal. Uh, actually I think you might be able to shoot six teal. I think it's six, but like, it's only a max of five mallards and then you're usually say a kicker. So right. we always try to do the, you know, the Royal flush for us would be uh five green heads and a uh, Drake Woody or a uh, Drake pintail. Pintel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would be a flush for us over here. Yeah, I bet. So what's your, kind of to wrap this up, Dave, what's your plans for the future? You were mentioning some stuff for fishing. Like what else do you got going on or coming up? So um, I figure like with, with everything we've done with the with the finisher, we've, we've done really well there and, and making it out there and getting this, uh, you know, multi-use tool to where it is today and, and coming on this next year with these new features and stuff. Um, I developed this product for people that like to do uh, lake fishing um it's basically a, a tripod for your fishing rod mm. and uh you clap it and clamp it onto there and you could adjust it and you could change the pitch of your rod you could put it lower it's good for those people that want to go and uh you know see fish uh the, you, you know you're on the seashore mm. out there in california or whatever and you have those pipes that you drive into the ground yeah and then you have to follow the tide forward and backward and all this stuff well this one you just it's on your rod and you just pick up your rod and reel it up whenever you need to go more towards the coast and then if the, it starts raising on you, you just release your spool and walk back with it and you just set your rod down. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's going to have a lot of cool features on it. And I just, uh, felt like getting into something that's not so controversial, man. And I just, uh, I, I've, I've already got used to it. And, and, you know, of all the, you yeah. know, comebacks, I never thought I would hear the date where I was, I had to come back for every single reason on why you should do use the finisher over anything else. And, uh, I was like, well, you know what? It would just be nice to, have something like this to where people would just appreciate the usefulness totally of it. Yeah, the waterfowl community is a 
is a grouchy, grumpy, bitter <laughs> uh, group of people. I don't know what it is. I just, it's. I think it's just everyone's so hardcore and has a passion for it. Yeah. That, uh, you know, and you're raised some way and that's the way you're raised and that's great, you know. And if you They're wanna... just not open-minded is what the problem is. You know, they, they, if you shoot a different gun, you can't talk about their guns. You can't talk about their trucks. You can't talk about the shells they use or their dogs. That's just something you don't do in waterfowling. Well, you, you can't, you can't forget camel, man. That, yeah, the, that's another, yeah, yeah. That's a big one. Everybody hates Sitka <laughs> right now. You, yeah. We, let's not get into that a bit, but. <laughs> That's it's, a whole other discussion. That, is, yeah, that literally yeah. is a whole podcast right there. We were laughing the other day, but I said, yeah, it's, and you know, and I've, I've been op- more open-minded myself, but it's just, you know, like when someone says, oh, I love my whatever, like I shoot a Browning A5, I love that gun, but just because I love that don't mean that I think all other guns are junk, but a lot of people are like that, like SX4 mm-hmm. is the only gun I'll shoot, you know, so I know how I, I can only imagine just with that product, like you said, to help somebody and help with the birds, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, man, it just it's just everything, man. And the craziest thing in which which I I felt like, man, I, I did what I came to do is I met this guy in Louisiana. Um, he came up to me and he's like, ah, I don't need that. I got these canines here, and I was like, ah, good for you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah. I said, but uh, you know, just next time you're thinking about putting that bird. Uh, skull in your mouth just remember it could have came from a retention pond uh poop <laughs> and he looked and he stopped and he and he came back and he goes let me tell you a story real quick and um i was like, okay and he's all you know what last year i shot two canvas backs and he goes and i went and i went to give him a cajun crunch man and i bit him each one and i threw him down and the next day i was sicker than a dog and he goes and i, I didn't know when it was going on and I went to the hospital and the doctor, because he said he was throwing up and all kinds of stuff. I don't know, diarrhea or what it was. And he went to the doctor and uh, he said, man, you got a uh, bill. Because he said his, his, his face started um, going numb and, and he started losing functionality mm-hmm. in the left side of his face. Wow. And that's when he knew it was something very serious. And so it turns out he went and he got a bacterial infection and it caused Bell's palsy. No way. Um, and he said what happened was when he bit those canvas backs – he said either A, he had like maybe from brushing his teeth or something happened to him. He had like a cut or open sore on his gum or whatever. And those those canvas backs or any waterfowl, for instance, you see the stuff that they swim in. Right. Just, you know, it's and they're very the most unsanitary animal out there because of the stuff they swim in mm-hmm. and eat and all that. So he put that in his mouth and there's bacteria on the on the outside of that bird. And uh, it went into his bloodstream and when it attacked his nervous system. And it attacks your nervous system, and that's how you lose function of some parts of your face. And he lost function of his face for two weeks, I believe he told me, um, for his left side of his face. And and uh, then I was like, man, that's a crazy story. So we started talking. I'm like, here, man, try this out, and if you don't like it, I'll buy it back. I have a lifetime warranty and a money-back guarantee. Just what the heck? And he's like, I will, and he did, and he tried it, and I met him the next year, and he's like, man, I can't even believe I almost passed up on this item. And uh, he's like, you know how much more of a difference it's made for me and more peace of mind it is for my wife knowing that I don't have to worry about going through that process ever again. And don't get me wrong, it is rare that you can get that. Right. But I have met two other people after that story that got it as well. Hmm. So, man, I'm like, man, you just just don't know. And how many people people had that happen that didn't know what it was from? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, they didn't put two and two together. Right. That that's what it was. I mm-hmm. mean, so I know whenever I I went to Mexico when I was a kid, you couldn't drink the water there, you know, because right. you'll you'll get sick. I mean, the the stuff that these these birds are in are 
are worse than what the stuff you could drink over there in Mexico. So yeah. I just, uh, like I said, after hearing that story, I was like, all right, man, I know that, uh, I finally feel accomplished in what, what I wanted to do was make someone's life better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I felt like that's what I did. Yeah. Wow. That's a sealer right there. That seals the deal. So, <laughs> well, man, Dave, I hope, uh, you continue to be successful like you have been. I mean, it's, uh, everything you're doing and all your, your new adventures that are come out, or I should say your new products. So I really appreciate what you've done, that you've really made a product and you've made it super cheap. I mean, people can pick this up for hardly nothing. So if you guys want to pick one of these up, you know, you can do, like you said, you can do the Cajun crunch or ring the neck, but I mean, um, it's just, it's just a great tool. You can keep it on your lantern and the stuff that he has now, and I've used it for my chokes or whatever. It works great. It's just a nice multi-purpose tool, in my opinion. So, and you keep advancing it. So I appreciate what you've done for us out hey, there, man, Dave. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And guys, like I said, go check out his product, and it's adrenal-line.com, and uh, go look at it online. He's got all kinds of different paintings and different looks and pintail widgeon paintings uh he's got all different kinds of we even um sell them too through our website midvalium.com if you want to check it out with our logo on it and uh he's made them for us so we really appreciate that go check out his social media too and uh you guys won't be disappointed at the the quality of stuff that he throws out there on the old interwebs so anyways thanks dave again for coming on yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, really enjoyed our time. It took us a while to hook up, but we finally... <laughs> I mean, is this like the seventh time we tried to get this together? Yeah, man. So... I was like, I don't know if this is ever going to happen, man. This is <laughs> next year, one of those things. Oh, yeah. So, all right, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>